Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Amen. If you have a Bible or your phone, you can go to Habakkuk chapter 1. This week's message is called Living by Faith. Living by Faith. And I want to talk to us today about faith. Now, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery says this about faith, that faith is an unshakable belief that God will do everything he has promised to do even before there's visible evidence to that effect. In short, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith in God is the defining virtue of the Christian. Faith defines us. It's one of, the, one of the main things about people who are following Jesus. Now, I'm going to say something that lots of us probably already know if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, which is faith gets tested. Our faith gets tested. Here's some things that test faith. Waiting on God. So, just waiting on God to do that thing that he, you're, you're, he's promised to do in his word or you're hoping for him to do in your life. That When you have to wait long, it's hard. There's a temptation to give up. The apparent triumph of evil and cruelty. We live in a day where it's, it's very clear when you look on the news, when you see what's going on, that it's an evil and cruel world that we live in. The slowness of sanctification. You look at your life and you're thinking, I want to change. I feel like I'm not changing. Nothing's going on. The same sin that was there last week is here again. I feel like nothing is happening, even though that is not true. That tests us. The slowness of sanctification. Answer to prayer we're not expecting. We're praying a certain way. We're asking God for this. And then he says, you're going to have this. And you start to wonder, is God good? Does he, does he really, like we sung, does he mean everything for my good? Is he working for my good? He's answering in a way that I'm not expecting. Then there's trials and suffering. Trials and suffering just squeezes the faith. It, it presses it in. It refines it. Now, Habakkuk, the reason why I'm, I'm showing these things is because he is in a spot where he's experiencing trials and suffering. That is happening now in his life. Last week, we saw that he was upset with God. He's like, what is going on? Why are you not helping? And then God tells him that the the Babylonians are coming, and now the Babylonians have come. And so there's there's a gap between, when you're reading Habakkuk, so again, I want us to always understand what we're reading. When you're reading Habakkuk, there's a gap between the first complaint and the second complaint. So he's struggling now. And he's wondering what God is doing. Here's the main idea I want us to remember from the message today, which is living by faith means trusting God with our present 
and the future. So I, I, I want you to slowly just think about that. Living by faith means even right now, I am trusting God. Things don't make sense to me. Things aren't going the way that I want them to go. I am trusting God in the present. And I'm looking out and I'm saying, I'm trusting God even with my future. So Habakkuk is struggling. Time has passed. The Babylonians have come. And now what we're going to see in verses 12 all the way to the end of uh, chapter 2 is that he has a new struggle. In verse 12 he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as judgment. He's talking about the Babylonians. God said, their Babylonians are going to come. They're going to be a source of divine judgment on my people. So he's like, okay. He says, O you rock, have established them for reproof. So they're, they're a discipline to the people of God. God wants to use them to cause the people in Judah to repent, to turn. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no rulers. He brings all of them. He's talking about the Babylonians. He says he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. He makes offerings to his dragnet. For, for by them he lives in luxury. His food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? He's like, he's like God, what are, what's happening? There's all kinds of questions coming from him. See, this shows us that sometimes we honestly question what God is doing. We honestly look around and we're like, what is God doing? We honestly question, like a kid that says, why? Habakkuk says, he asks God, why do you tolerate a nation like this? Why do you use a nation that's worse than us, worse than Judah? Verse 13, he says, the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he. So he calls the Babylonians wicked, and they are. Verse 15 says, he brings them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net and he gathers them in his dragnet. He rejoices and he's glad. They rejoice over their evil. Verse 17, it says, he, he, is he to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing people forever? Habakkuk compares the people that they, they catch to fish in a net. I'm not really outdoorsy. Most of you guys know that. I believe strongly in staying inside. But this summer, we went up to a cottage, and the boys got a chance to kind of hang out and fish, and they were obsessed with this every day. It was like, Let, Dad, can we go? Can we go? And you can see there in Ray's hand, there's this small fish. Now, that fish was at the mercy of those boys. I am pretty sure that fish ended up in a bucket and didn't make it. But the way the boys, I, I, the thing I learned watching them fish, as they were just, as River especially, because he was really like determined, he just sit there for hours just pulling them out, pulling them out, pulling them out. But the thing that I noticed was my boys 
and had complete control over the fish. As once they were out of the water, they were at the mercy of the boys. And that is the picture that Habakkuk is trying to give us, that when the Babylonians captured people, they were completely at their mercy. They could do nothing to stop their power over them. And so like last week, he's confused. He's like, God, how are you allowing this? He's asking, God, how can you use a nation like this? He says in verse 13, why do you idly, there's that word again, it showed up earlier in the chapter, idly. Why do you idly look at traitors? He thinks God's doing nothing. See, living by faith doesn't mean we never have questions. There are times where we're just, we're all, that seems that's all that's going on. Just wondering, questions without answers. But that's part of living by faith. And when we're struggling to understand what God is doing, Habakkuk actually does something really important that we should follow. You may have missed it, but it's in the text. Look at verse 12. It says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, have you ordained them as judgment, O you, you O rock? He says what is true about God. He says, you are my God. He says that you are from everlasting. He says you are the Holy One. He says God is a rock. See, when you are struggling to understand what God is doing in your life and in the world, what you are to do is remind yourself what is true about God, who He is, and what He means to us. He says He is a rock. He is holy. God is reliable. He is holy. He never does anything wrong. Everything that he does is right. And when we don't understand the times we're living in, the things going on in our life, we have to remind ourselves what is true. We have to take comfort in that. It's the only way we're going to make it through. It's the only way we're going to continue to live by faith because we know a God like this won't fail us. He will do what is right. Now one more thing. This text actually raises the question of God's sovereignty over evil. How do we relate? How, how does God's sovereignty relate to evil? Table Talk Magazine says, when evil occurs, both God and creatures are involved, but only the creature is guilty of wrongdoing. That is because the creature's intent, action, is evil, but God's is not. And scripture assigns guilt based on intentions and actions of the parties involved. Both God, this is a great example of this, both God and Joseph's brothers sent Joseph to Egypt, but only the brothers were guilty of evil because they had evil intent and actions. They carried it out. God's involvement in evil is not parallel in all respects to his involvement in good, but is not a bare permission of evil whereby God simply stands back and watches things happen. No, he actively governs evil to fulfill his purposes. Very important for us to understand and think about that in the right way. So here's five takeaways. When we think about this situation, God seeks to bring about repentance of his people and establish his glory. That's the aim. He wants them to repent. 
The Babylonians, though, evil, seek to destroy others and establish their own glory. God uses the Babylonians to accomplish his purposes. The Babylonians are guilty for their intentions and actions. God sovereignly accomplishes his good purposes and intentions while also justly punishing the Babylonians. Might seem complicated. If you are confused, talk to me after. But this is what happens the rest of the way. He justly punishes them. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Now, in the English, we actually miss, but Habakkuk is actually saying, I'm going to now stand and I'm going to wait for God to rebuke me. He knows, he's like, all these questions that I've just thrown at him, he's, like, he's a little bit worried about how God is going to respond to him. Habakkuk asks God a question and God answers, but God doesn't rebuke him. Verse 2, it says, and the Lord answered me, write this vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For the vision awaits its appointed time and hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. His honest question gets an honest answer. God wants everyone to understand the vision. That's why he says, write it on a tablet and make it plain. When people read this, they're not going to wonder what I am trying to say. And verse 2, he says, that he may run who hears it. That word run is speaking of a messenger who carries and spreads the news. So again, God wants this to spread all around. He wants people to know what he is saying. And the vision is all that he says in verses 6, well, verses 4 to 20. And it says in verse 2, it will happen at the appointed time. Even when it seems slow, even when it seems slow, God tells them in verse 3, wait for it. See, we have to patiently wait on God's timing. That's what this answer reveals, that as a, as a people who live by faith, we have to patiently wait on the timing of God. The, the people are going into exile. So the, the Babylonians have come, and some of them are going to be carried away into exile. I know what's going to happen. When they're in exile, they're going to be tempted to think God is not going to fulfill his word. God is not going to come through on his promise. And that's why God says, wait. He tells them, even in exile, you have to have faith. In, the, in Jeremiah, it says this, one of the most misquoted verses in all of Scripture. God says, for I know, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, that means when after 70 years of Babylon doing their thing, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And here's the verse that everybody loves. But you got to keep this verse in context. 70 years of waiting. And God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. He says to them, it's going to be a while. But I know the plans. 
You have to patiently wait. God looks at Habakkuk and he says, Habakkuk, things won't always be this way, but you have to wait. And think about that for us as God's people now in the times that we're living in. God looks at us and he says, things will not always be this way, but what? But you have to wait. You have to be patient and trust what I am doing. And waiting is hard, trust me. I'm one of the most impatient guys on earth. It is hard. And when we're waiting on God, that process, sometimes there's doubt. Is God going to come through? Sometimes there's confusion. Again, what is God doing? Sometimes there's just flat out anger. And something that I had to kind of think through this week, and maybe you're in this spot. I'm not saying you are, but I definitely was. But when I looked at my, what was going on and how I was behaving, I realized I'm just mad waiting on God. There's a whole bunch of things that I'm expecting, that I'm hoping, that I'm praying for. I'm thinking, this is going to happen. Me and Shay went somewhere this week. We walked in, and I was convinced that we were going in, and the answer was going to be a certain way. We walked in, and the answer was another way. And I got in the car, and I was mad. I didn't tell Shay on that. Sometimes in the waiting, we are angry, and we need to be willing to admit and confess that and seek God's forgiveness. We're confused. Wondering what he is doing. We even face temptation when we're struggling. Struggling to believe that God is good. Struggling to wait on God. Here's what we got to do. We've got to remember that God is faithful. That's why we sung all these songs. I hope you caught the theme of the songs. We want you to have a sense of God's sovereignty over us. Of the faithfulness of God. Charles Octavius Booth. I just like his name said, God has been faithful to his law and instructions thousands of years ago. He declared that life and prosperity would come of obedience and that ruin would come of sin. It is true before our eyes and, it has, been tr- and has been true. He promised deliverance and mercy to the penitent. Deliverance and mercy has come. He promised to give us a savior The Savior has been given. And now the world is full of the sounds of his salvation. This is so important. That which is fulfilled assures the fulfillment of what remains in promise. And you got to understand who's writing this. This is a brother that was enslaved. Couldn't read. Had some of the worst treatment that you can think about. Locked up, owned by someone. He got out of slavery, taught himself to read, and planted a church. And he, he writes this of the faithfulness of God. He, he's gone through all kinds of suffering, but puts this to paper. And says what God has done in the past when we look backwards, gives us hope for the future. We look back at what God has done and we say he's been good over there. He's given us a savior. He is going to be good right now and he's going to be good later. If we don't remind ourselves of these things, faith will get weak. Doubt will creep in. We look back, what God has done back there tells us he will be good to us in the future. Now, Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes 
before destruction. Now, the Babylonians are prideful. This is, a, this is one of the defining things of them. If you, if you look at verse 4, it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. Verse 11 says they are guilty men. Verse 11 back in, in, in chapter 1. Guilty men whose own might is their God. See, the way we celebrated birthdays, the Babylonians celebrated their wickedness. They worshiped their weapons. That's why it says in verse 15 of chapter 1, he rejoices and is glad. They would look at the way they were treating people, they would look at the things they were doing to people, and they would rejoice over it. This is an evil and dark nation. Verse 16 of chapter 1 says, he, he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet. They worship their weapons. Establishing their own glory was their greatest desire. Pride, the pride that was in them made them evil and made them ruthless. I'm not going to read everything, all the verses uh, in, uh, in chapter 2. I'm just going to highlight some of them to show you just how evil this group of people were. They built their kingdom through debt. If you look at verse 7, you'll see that. They built their kingdom through injustice. Verse 9 shows that. They built their kingdom through slavery. Verse 13 shows that. They built their kingdom through violence. Verse 17 shows that. They built their kingdom through idolatry. Verse 19 shows that. And God will punish them. Verse 16 says, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. It's all going to end poorly for this nation. Idolatry, worshiping something other than God, hurts us and hurts others. You can bring that quote up. Erwin Ince says, idolatry is a dehumanizing act, an act where we discard our own dignity to worship an idol is an insult to God, ourselves, and our neighbor. The Lord knows that, there are un, the unav that the unavoidable outworking of idolatry is oppression and injustice. Let those words sit on you for a minute. Oppression and injustice. When you worship something other than God, whatever it is, oppression and injustice, just, just always just take a look. You will find that it's there. You are oppressing somebody somehow and uh, doing some form of injustice to another human being. He gave us the second commandment to protect and pre prevent us from this tragedy. God wants to protect us. That's why he says, only worship me. As we worship God, we're able to love our neighbor. Idolatry is one of the main reasons why our world is as ugly, painful, and broken as it is. When you look at the culture, that's what's going on at bottom. The creatures are worshiping something other than the God who made them. The Babylonians thought that their glory would fill the earth, but they were wrong. Look at verse 14. It says, for the earth will be filled, this is verse 14 in chapter 2, 
will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. God's glory will be everywhere. The earth will be absolutely filled with the glory of God. Now we get lots of reminders. Reminders to turn our clocks back. I don't even know how daylight saving times work, but I do it every year and I'm happy tonight for the extra hour of sleep. We get lots of reminders. Reminders about assignments, reminders to vote. And this verse is a reminder to us of where history is headed. How come nobody said amen? Let me just, I'll come back and walk into it. This verse is a reminder to us of where history is headed. God's glory will be seen through all the earth. In the end, his full power will be revealed and God will get the glory that he deserves. That's why verse 20 says, all the earth will keep silence before him. Everyone will stop and be in awe of God of what he has done. God promises Habakkuk. He says, brother, I know it's tough. I know the waiting is hard. I know you are struggling. But the power of the Babylonians will end. But the power and glory of God will never end. And anyone, this is where it gets important, anyone who trusts in God will live. Everyone who has faith in this God, they will live. Verse 4, the righteous, it says, shall live by his faith. In the middle of this, God gives this promise. He says, anyone who is in Judah, anyone who is trusting in me, anyone who holds on, who lives by faith, who trusts me with their present and trusts me with their future, they will live. The righteous will live by faith. See, pride leads to destruction. Faith, humble faith, leads to life. That's what the text is showing us. And the thing to avoid is pride. And the thing to embrace is humble faith. God tells the people in Judah, live by faith. And you know what he tells us? He tells us to live by faith. In Romans 1, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's every, everybody else. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, Jesus Christ. And watch this, the righteous shall live by faith. That's Habakkuk quoted. The righteous shall live by faith. We live by faith in the gospel. And like a child who's holding on to the hand of their parent, we hold on to gospel promises as we wait on God. We hold on believing that God has saved us and will save us. The Bible says you are saved and you are being saved. We hold on to the reality that God has justified us. We hold on to the promise that God is sanctifying us, that all that we're going through is actually making me more mature. It's making me like Jesus Christ. I hold on to that, that God is sanctifying me, that I may not feel it today, but something's going on in me. I'm not the same as I was yesterday. He's working in my life. Gospel promises, I hold on to that. I hold on to the fact that no matter what is going on, God is actually guiding me. That I am not on plan B, that I am on plan A. That his plan is right. 
and I simply need to trust it even when I don't like it and I'm talking to you as a man who is not always happy lately with what is going on but God is good and I'm holding on to that and I'm calling our church to hold on to that fact that God is guiding us, that God will provide for us, that there's never a moment that he's going to leave us without what we actually need, that in the future he's going to do good to us, and that in the end we are going to see all that he was doing. We are going to see his beautiful plan, everything explained to us. I believe heaven's just gonna be a place of telling stories and our minds are just gonna be getting blown over and over and over as we actually see how God put everything together. And it's going to be a place of praise where the nations are gathered singing God's glory and his praise because he's worthy of it. And we're going to stand in awe of him for his goodness and his good plan, even if I can't always see it right now. When we live by faith, we are saying, God, I trust you with my present. When we embrace the gospel, that's what we're saying. When I say, I believe in Jesus, I believe that he died in my place, I believe that he's going to come back, I believe that God is going to make all things new, that it's all going to be restored. When we believe that, we're saying, I trust you with my present, you are guiding me and I'm trusting you with my future. Can we get that quote back on the dictionary of biblical imagery? Because I want it in our head. Faith is the unshakable belief that God will do everything, not some things, everything he has promised to do, even before there's visible evidence to that effect. We might not have all the evidence, but we are living by faith. In short, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith in God is the defining virtue of the Christian. So here's my question to us. What kind of life are you living? Is it a life that is filled with pride, trusting in yourself? Is it a life full of fear? I think there's so many Christians who are living a life full of fear at the moment. the media, all that stuff has just kind of seeped right into us and just quieted the word of God. And so we got to ask the hard question, am I living a life of, and I'm only saying this because I had to ask myself these questions. Am I living a life of pride? Am I living a life of fear? Or am I living a life of faith? where I truly believe that my Father exists, where I truly believe that my Father is good, where I truly believe that my Father is guiding me, where I truly believe that my Father is going to take care of me every single moment of my life. And so I'm waiting patiently on Him, trusting Him. When we embrace the gospel, we are saying, Jesus, I trust you with my life, my present and my future. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you are faithful always. 
Lord, as the song says, that you are faithful through the ages. God, that there's never been a moment where you have let your people down. There's been time when your people have had to wait. And God, I pray that you would help us in our waiting to trust you. God, I pray that you would help us in the moments where we're questioning what you are doing to rest in what we know to be true about you, that you are a rock, that we can rely on you, that you are holy. All that you do, Lord God, is good and right. I pray, Father, that the life of faith would be lived by us this week, that we would walk in your promises, even the moments when we don't understand. And Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, who has made it possible, Father, for us to be in relationship with you, for us to sit here right now as a people who have hope in a time that sometimes feels very hopeless. We have hope. And so I pray you'd help us, Lord God, to trust you in our present and with our future, to live by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.